All right, welcome to another episode of the Brain Food Show. We are continuing our series. We listened to feedback on the space series. We realized that after 42... Sp- How many episodes did we really do of the space series? Six. Okay. People were saying six is a bit much. So I, I think this is part three of Macabre. This is the last part of Macabre. Am I pronouncing Macabre correctly? I was, I was wondering about that and I just assumed yes because I wasn't quite sure either. But on the space series, I will say we got a lot of people emailing, but at the same time, Episode six was more popular than any of the others so far. So they were just like building. Well, this is like the uh, what people say and what people want is a really different thing. You know, the airline one. Have you heard about this, about like what people ask for and what they actually pay for on airlines? Do you know this factoid Mm. or fact? I know Mm. one of your most popular articles on today I found out is about what the difference is between a fact and a factoid. I don't remember. So I'm just going to call it a factoid and you can probably tell me I'm wrong. But it also sounds cooler when you say factoid. It does. The airlines, they'll survey people and they'll be like, hey, what do you want? And people will be like, oh, I definitely want like a more regular drink service or it'd be really nice to have like one and a half inches more leg space. And then the reality is the airlines like look at the data and they're like, no, everyone just wants it cheaper and worse. Exactly. So yeah. you know, what people say and what people get or want is a little yeah. bit different. That, may, that makes sense. Anyway, so I think we are keeping it to three, right? Next week. Do we know what the subject is for next week? Uh, it is computer related, computer history related, and quite fascinating. So stay tuned. Stay Subscribe. Can you, you can subscribe to podcasts if you're listening to this mm-hmm. randomly on the interwebs. Go over to your favorite podcasting platform and subscribe. Oh, hey, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, we're doing a giveaway, aren't we? Or wherever you listen to your podcast. It doesn't have to be iTunes. I don't want to discriminate. We are doing a giveaway when we get to 200 reviews. We'll give away a $200 Amazon gift card to someone who's left a review on a major platform. We say major platform because we can't go through all the tiny little podcast apps and find every little review as much as we would like to. Maybe someone could program an aggregator that brings all those together. That would be handy. That would. Anyway, we're at 188. So we just need 12 more. And then we'll draw a name from a digital hat. So go on and do that. As we talked about in recent episodes, we're going to bump the talking about reviews and follow up to after the content because that's what people said they prefer maybe it is it seems logical that that really would be preferred so we're going to do that also it it says mention social media what do i need to mention about social media we have that we have the contest we also have a contest there ah Uh, yeah the hashtag brain food show yeah yeah just say anything maybe talk about a fact or whatever Whatever is yeah. interesting and just, just do talk that. You can smack say. about us. Whatever. Yeah, that, that works too. And uh, uh, also, you know, I think we said 500 of those. Mm-hmm. I should I should definitely go check how many we're up to now because maybe you, we're what, over 500. That, does, that, does it tell you on Twitter how many hashtag things you uh, oh, No, but there are, no. there's software. There's software that sort of puts Ooh. it all together, like on Facebook. And it looks at all the, all the different uh, major social medias. And you can put stuff in and track stuff very nicely. So how fancy. I yeah. once got a tool for Twitter because I was like, every every like month or so, I have a bit of a crisis and I'm like, oh, I should be doing more on Twitter. Everyone's <laughs> on Twitter and everyone's so funny and good. And then I'm like, I'll do like 10 tweets in one day about like things I find amusing and people will, you know, they'll like them and they'll retweet them and stuff. And then it's like a month will go by and I've just done nothing because that, that yeah. crisis of like, I should be more active on Twitter has passed. So yeah. I have a very strange posting schedule on Twitter. I downloaded an application where you could like just put in the tweets, like as you yeah. come up with them and then it'll space them out evenly over time. Yeah. And then I thought, what am I doing with my life? And I'm making <laughs> videos. That's probably what the people want more anyway. I think I must be the most... I don't know. I've got to be up there with like least active or followed person on Twitter. 
compared to number of YouTube subscribers. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's literally like 10,000 to one or something. Well, I, did, I don't even have a Twitter account, so <laughs> that, you're beating me there. That's true. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. probably smart on that one. It's, it's fine. I did not, I did not, where were you, uh, so, you know, when you type your name and then it says like, you know, suggestions about like what people searching and that was one of the top suggestions was Dave and Hiskey Twitter. And it's like nothing. <laughs> oh, do, is it when you Google yourself and it comes up? Yeah. Yours, oh, yeah. yours is funny. Cause it's like, uh, nowadays it's like Simon Whistler, wife, Simon Whistler, net worth. <laughs> is people are desperate to know, I, I, maybe it's all the gold diggers out there. They're like, what's his net worth? And is he married? <laughs> I'm really, yeah, the. It's the first one is Simon Whistler Wikipedia, which I guess you expect. Don't have a yeah. Wikipedia page. Yeah, um, that, and that's a little weird. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people make them themselves, but I find that incredibly narcissistic. Uh, yeah. So I would definitely refuse to do that. That makes sense. Yeah. Then wife and then net worth. Net worth used to be above wife, but I, wife wasn't in there. I don't know how people know. Uh, maybe because I'm wearing a wedding band in, in the videos now. Hey, number three is pot or number four, I guess, after Simon Whistler, Simon Whistler Net Worth, Simon Whistler Wife, and Simon Whistler Podcast. Simon Whistler Earnings also right down there. People really want to know. <laughs> okay, should we crack on? Oh, there's a preface yeah. or there's another one. How do you pronounce it? Preface or preface? I would go preface. I'd go preface. Maybe preface yeah. I just made up. <laughs> preface. <laughs> Tell me the preface. What's up? We've got some notes on accuracy. Yeah. So this one, this one took a long time because um because it's just conflicting accounts, even from contemporary. You go back and read the newspaper accounts of, of this this woman's various exploits, and they're conflicting even back in her day. And so naturally, the, the sort of more modern sources are even more conflicting. And so the, this was uh, going back, look, looking at even the old ones, it was it was difficult to to come up with like, what is the exact, like even the, the name of her father, of this woman's father was yeah. was is is it Peter or is Paul? Like, yeah, yeah. You told yeah me even <laughs> even in the newspapers back in the day, they were using them interchangeably. And I was like, so which which one which one is it? And uh, and stuff like this. So uh, there's probably in this one, I did my best to sort of like you know sift through it all and try to come up with like the you know get the facts straight. And I kind of note when there's conflicting accounts, and I couldn't kind of get to the bottom of of a certain part or whatever of which is true or whatever. Um, so I did my best to note that here, and then hopefully we finally got the trial notes actually for the, for her trial were really helpful. And I, I just kind of assumed the trial notes were correct, you know, like the different accounts that were happening there and that the news articles from her day were probably slightly less correct. And then, of course, the modern stuff is probably, you know, who knows. So that's what I went with, and we'll see. Uh, there may be like a few little details wrong, but the general story is going to be perfectly accurate and the details that are wrong, good luck to the person to find which ones are definitely wrong and good luck with You've that. You've gone so deep that even if they try, you'll be like, yeah, but it's still, you know, yeah, yeah. is that really irrefutable? Prove it and then and then actually tell me if you can prove it because then I can update, you know, the article version when I eventually do it. Yeah. If you have an enormous amount of time on your hands and are listening to this podcast and want to improve our accuracy, go right ahead. We welcome it. I do. That would be nice because I spent oh, way too much time on this one. Yeah, we were supposed to record this two days ago, then one day ago, and now we're recording it today. Yeah, and then I was like, no, 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 no more. And then uh, the and number it, of times like, I've gone in ridiculously early to the office for you is high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the the I was it was really too bad that we had to do it for this podcast that we kind of teased it because I, these ones like this, I I've sort of been stocking them up because uh, you know when I'm like going through a hiring spree. I love mm. to assign these. I like, say, hey, do this one, and then see what the person comes up with. 
you know, because you can really tell a lot about like the person's how deep they're going to go on stuff and like how, you know, if are they just going to like sensationalize it and just do the most sensational stuff and not say like, oh, it's conflicting accounts or like, you know, this sort of thing. And, and uh, so I like to do that. Or like there's other ones where where everyone says one thing. But if you really, really dig deep, like back to the old newspaper stuff, you can see that actually the, you know, the story is something else than what modern accounts say. And then that's uh, that's always a good one to assign, you know, prospective writers and researchers for today, I found out. So, well, a lot of these sites, I mean, you read something on if you Google something, you know, like this subject and then you get like five results and they're all from websites and they're all kind of different written but they've obviously like used each other as sources exactly it's kind of like after a point is you can't reference yeah no you have to go you have to go deeper and this is this is the thing these are why these great like the dolphin one i think that was one that uh the you know the the polaris jack one where every single modern source no 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 that's not the sexual dolphin no the other one talk about the sexual dolphin i don't think so the one where the woman the researcher has like no uh, we have not I, I feel like I've brought up the sexual dolphin like three times on this podcast. Okay. At some point, we're going to touch it. Not literally okay. touch that. That would be <laughs> weird. Wow, wow. Yeah, no, I didn't mean that. Although, <laughs> closely related to the story of the sexual dolphin. Yeah. No, no so, so yeah. I, like I do to... think that's a brilliant name for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> the sexual dolphin. Get some good downloads. No, it's the, the Polaris Jack one where everyone said they were, it was guiding ships. And like every modern yeah. source says this, even like I think he had his own website from the you know, whatever, New Zealand or something. Uh, and, and so th- like those ones are good to give people. And then you see, will they just parrot what the, what the other websites say, you know, all the modern sources where they actually dig deep. And then just to throw people off, I'll also tend to also give them ones that are exactly what every modern source says. And then also on those ones, I'm kind of looking for, will they come up with something unique, like a unique angle that no one else has done? So like, these are all good, good interview ones. So I tend to keep ones like this one. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not going to publish that. We'll just keep that for later and see what people do with it. Um, but this time we teased it, so I figured we should actually talk about it. Mm-hmm. So let's do it. So with that preamble. Where do, we, where, where do we begin? So we start with a little girl named Honora Kelly. I assume that's Honora, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Honora. Hon- Honora. I feel like they, they kind of in slang called her Nora, so whatever. So uh, her name changes later, so it doesn't really matter. Um, so she was the daughter of Irish immigrants, Peter, or Paul, if you want to believe that ah, version of things. Okay. But I'm going to go with Peter uh, and Bridget Kelly. How did um, you find out it was Peter and not Paul in the end? I went with Peter because every like psychological academic source that sort of covers this woman goes with Peter. And uh, and more of the more of the newspaper accounts and stuff originally went with Peter, more popular. In the, but if you look at the like modern sites, they mostly go with Paul. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe his name was Peter Paul. It's possible because you'll see. Actually, this was also some of the confusion with some of these later names. Is that everyone was named Mary, so everyone had a nickname uh, back then. If they were named Mary, people called uh-huh. them something else, and so there was a lot of conflicting stuff with that, with names and like people, and then that caused people because some of them were quite similar uh, to get confused in some of the modern sources. Those are like the dates of things and when certain things happened. And anyways, this yeah. was a, yeah. It does anyways. get tricky. Have you? the ancestry stuff as well like i was going back through my family and it's get like you get to my grandfather and it's like well every man was called the same so it's like wait is that the older dude or is that it's thinking about like six generations and they're all like richard john it's like great yeah yeah Yeah. and this is this i think a lot of those a lot of the modern sites were getting confused with some of that where they kind of got the order of the murders and stuff 
you know, wrong because of because of it's precisely because of the fact that everyone was named Mary um, and yeah. stuff. And there were but a anyways. lot of murders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of murder in today's episode. Yeah. And so, yeah, her, her mother, Bridget, uh, this Honora Kelly, her mother, Bridget, died of tuberculosis when she was just a few years old. And so this left her, her Peter, to her uh, apparently abusive, allegedly, uh, but definitely an alcoholic father to raise his three daughters, probably three daughters, could be two, as I'll mention briefly. And so, yeah, he was uh, Peter. Also, one thing everyone agrees on is that he had the nickname Kelly the Crack mm -hmm. uh, around town because he was a bit of a crackpot, basically. He was yeah. he was considered a little loopy. And uh, yeah, so he's raising supposedly three daughters, Honora, youngest, then the one older is Delilah or Delia, and then Nellie is the oldest of them. Um, and also some sources note he uh, pawned them off on their grandmother. But uh, either way, when they were when Honora was about six years old, he decided he had had enough or the grandmother had had enough, whichever, and took them to the Boston Female Asylum Orphanage in 1863 and to give up. But only two of them, Honora and uh, Delia, Delia. Mm -hmm. So he takes them there, and it's not really clear what his motivations here. Was he just trying to get rid of them, or was he? I mean, these orphanages, this like this asylum would. He knew they would place them. He would have known they they would place them with a family at some point. It usually okay. is an inde like an indentured servant. So he might have thought oh. maybe they'll just have a better life. You know, like they'll they because part of well, the that's significantly worse than like you know, whatever you want to say about the the foster system today. It's like oh no, it's like oh they place them with a family. Wow, that's really forward thinking as yeah. a servant. <laughs> as a servant, but. But they were guaranteed then an education, a good, you know, room and board, like in a good household. Like he was quite poor, obviously, and an alcoholic and all this. And um, and this is the thing. The the asylum didn't just take anyone. Uh, they had to be like a very clear need there. And so when they showed up, apparently the girls were quite horrible hygiene. Um, it was noted in the notes there and their clothes were all tattered. And they looked, you know, took one look at Peter and were like, yeah, we'll, we'll take them. Um, and so and they actually have a quote there where they say yeah. uh, rescued from a very miserable home yeah that was that was what the notes on on the um their induction to the asylum so they stayed there uh anora stayed there a couple of years and oh I'll, first let me go back and and talk about what happened to peter supposedly uh he they he never saw his daughters again uh he was either a tailor or a tailor's assistant probably an assistant you'd think given his <laughs> you know impoverished state uh and supposedly oh, he was a really late, bad tailor just really yeah. terrible <laughs> Just drunk. Yeah. Supposedly later, he went a little even more crazy and sewed mm -hmm. his eyes, his eyelids shut. And then was... A, a uh, little more crazy? <laughs> yeah, well... He was like, well, he was kind of drunk and like not very good father. And then he sewed his eyelids shut. Yeah. This is the thing is a lot of the accounts say that he did this. But like, you know, I want to find, you know, was there like a firsthand account, like a news article that mm -hmm. said like, yeah, crazy, you know, <laughs> Kelly the crackpot. So it is. I mean, this is newsworthy, right? Um, but I couldn't, to be. I couldn't, I couldn't find anything, but anyways, uh, most sources say that's what happened, but who knows if he actually did that either way, they, he never saw his girls again. Uh, so then if going over to, you might at this point be wondering where, what happened to Nellie and it turns out later is it's not really clear whether Nellie actually existed uh, sort of later in the trial, the, in the news, there was, um, a cousin, a supposed cousin, of 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 this Honora that came out and said there was an older sister and she supposedly went crazy uh, in her twenties and was also put in an asylum, um, okay. but but there's not really a lot of records whether she actually existed or not. But going back going back to to Honora, mm -hmm. uh, so 
So Anora and Delilah, they, they spend a couple years there. Delilah, at some point, for whatever reason, um, I don't know if she didn't get placed with the family or just later in life, uh, it seems that she became a prostitute at some point, and then nothing mm-hmm. is known about her after that. And then Honora was lucky for her, but not lucky for the family she got put with. Uh, she was put with the family, a, a reasonably well-off family, the Toppin household in Lowell, Massachusetts, and uh, the, the Abner and Ann Toppin. Mm-hmm. And her job there, so basically she would work there for 10 years as an indentured servant. She would get room and board education. And then $50 when she actually finished her her, her indentured servitude was about $1,300. Do we, do we know how day. old she was when this started out? Like, Yeah, she was about eight years old uh, okay. at the time. And so about 10 years till she's 18. And then they'll give her, it's about $1,300 today, that $50 when she's done to sort of, you know, start her life. And then her job was basically just to be a servant and a companion to the Toppin's daughter named Elizabeth. Um, mm-hmm. It was a similar age as her. This doesn't sound like I, I, when you mentioned kind of indentured servitude and all this stuff. Yeah. This, uh, considering her situation before, this doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, and I yeah. figure at this time in history, like child labor like this and stuff, it's kind yeah. of like pretty ordinary, right? Like they'd be, yeah. they'd be going out to work in the fields rather than getting an education, oh, or like in the coal, family. the coal mines or something. And this is yeah. this was not a bad position for her to be in uh, compared to many of her, you know, peers. Okay. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying like indentured servitude is good, but we are talking about the late 19th century. Yeah, a uh, girl, she came from a, a young... terrible background. Her sister at this point, her younger sister, her older is a sister, prostitute. Couple, oh, okay, a few years older than her. Um, okay, it wasn't clear. Yes. It wasn't clear when when this happened. Like when she took up that profession. But um, I mean, ah. at that point in history, that profession was great. Like great freedom for the women uh, at times that they didn't didn't have otherwise. You know, mm-hmm. a way to make good money and stuff. So it wasn't. Uh, but either way, either way, mm. this she finds herself with this family, mm-hmm. and this this did not work out for the family later. But at the time, it seemed fine. She was a good servant companion. Elizabeth liked her. The mother apparently was a little strict on her. Uh, didn't care, particularly didn't like her Irish heritage, and so you know lied about that with people and told her like her parents died and she was I don't remember some other some other background because the you know she just didn't like the fact that she was Irish and and there was sort of a stigma against that. But yeah, she was liked in school. Apparently, the the news accounts say she was she was very intelligent, and very popular. Um, she was noted to be something of a frequent liar, but otherwise, otherwise, you know, people liked her. Um, nothing, okay. nothing seeming too fishy at this point. It's gonna go dark, though, isn't it? Because we know it's this is about murder, and you've mentioned it a few dark. times. Unfortunately for the family, everything seems okay so far. Yeah, unfortunately for pretty much anyone she comes in contact with. But yeah, so Anne Toppin eventually eventually passes away when um actually she's when she turned eighteen she didn't actually leave she she got released from her indenture servitude given her fifty dollars but she decided to stay on as a as a proper servant to continue mm-hmm. that way and she stayed on for about a decade but during that time that decade Anne Toppin died but then Elizabeth decided to keep her on uh, you know in the house Elizabeth liked her seemingly um and then it, uh, during this time uh, it's worthy of mention that Elizabeth married one Ormel Brigham and he was a, he was a church deacon around town. And this, this is uh, the daughter, right? Elizabeth. Yeah, yes. Elizabeth, okay. the daughter, but she's now an adult, obviously sure. the same as, uh, so she marries Ormel Brigham and this, he'll, he'll kind of come into play later as well. Everyone's got weird names today. Or <laughs> yeah. it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 I've not heard that one before, but, um, it's not really clear at some point she decided after about that 10, uh, that decade about around, she's around 28 or so she decides to leave the top in house 
It's not really clear why she did this. It seems they left on uh, friendly terms. You know, Elizabeth was like, hey, come back anytime, visit, you know, all this. Okay. And they, and, you know, you can as see it from, like raising her as a child and then yeah, having, being yeah. friends. And yeah. And so she was like, yeah, come back. And, and, and this, oh, did I mention she changed her name? I think I forgot to mention. So, so it's not clear. It doesn't appear that the Toppins actually officially adopted her, ever did, but she did change her name to Jane Toppin. So, uh, from, from Honora Kelly. And so now she goes by Jane Toppin for the rest of her life. And okay. so Jane is back, definitely easier than Honora. So yeah, that's yeah. good for us. I mean, yeah, yeah. So she decides to leave, and um, and you know, not really clear why. And and it's too bad that she didn't leave for good for mm-hmm. for poor Elizabeth. So she goes. She decides to take up a profession uh, as a nurse. And so in 1885, she starts uh, her nursing career at Cambridge in Cambridge, Massachusetts, at the Cambridge Hospital there. And yes, it, of all accounts, she's uh, she's very well thought of by the doctors and the, the patients absolutely loved her. And if you read the trial notes later, like she, of the accounts of like her caring for people and stuff, she was a really good nurse. You can see why people liked her very charismatic. Mm-hmm. She seemed very caring, empathetic, you know, really knew her job, her stuff. Uh, so you can see why the patients loved her. And um, and it's not clear the, the accounts differ on whether her fellow nurses liked her or not. Um, seems to be kind of goes back and forth on there. But either way, you don't want to be too good at your job, you know, like, yeah, 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 that's true. It could be, it could make them look bad. Yeah, it it could be. And, um, and, but either way, during this time, she got the nickname Jolly Jane because she was just always so happy and charismatic and people liked her. Things will change. But then, then later, her nickname became the Nightmare Nurse, which was, uh, this is much more fitting seeing as what's about to happen. Yeah. It's not really clear at what point in here she decided to just start like toying with her patients and murdering them randomly. Uh, but at some point she did. She would uh, many of the patients she was a perfectly good nurse to. Nothing, nothing untoward. You know, she had a good reputation. But some of them just it seemed to be the ones she particularly liked. She would really get close to some of them, and often she would pick elderly patients because you know mm-hmm. they people wouldn't seem fishy if they just up and died for some reason after you know going to the hospital. Anyway, I mean they were there for a reason in the first place. So she just starts. She seems to like her general method will be to give them some sort of drug, something to make them continue to be ill so they stay there. And then they kind of over their stay at the hospital as it extends. She would kind of experiment on them, give them different random drugs. And she eventually settles on morphine and atropine. <laughs> yeah. Just, Morph- what are you going to do? I'm just going to give people random drugs and see what happens. Yeah, this was... It's just kind of a learning and this maybe made her a better nurse because she really got to know like different doses of stuff and experimenting mm-hmm. that that other people wouldn't know. And so she eventually came down to she really liked morphine and atropine to give them kind of together. And this it, it turns out later this this was great What's for her atropine? because it, I'm not really sure, but it seems like uh, at least from the accounts from the doctors later is that it's it sort of counteracts a lot of the effects of morphine or, or I should say the symptoms where where it stopped the doctors from really necessarily being able to tell their patients the problem with them was they were being given way too much morphine like overdosed on it and stuff Uh, and so and also apparently it also caused like really jerky reactions and stuff and kind of jerk around and morphine on the other hand was kind of a a little bit of a sedative for them so it was kind of this counteracting effect and it also it also for her was great because the the doctors would have caught on very quickly if she was just like overdosing patients with morphine they would be like yeah this person died of a morphine overdose who is their nurse you know they would have taken no time but the atropine seems to have masked this for for her uh, as though we'll get into later in the in the trial notes um okay uh so, enough to kind of throw them off and i should say here that you know i'm no doctor i'm just going by the fact that the doctors in the trial notes seemed you know they're not seemed, a doctor this no, whole time we, yeah 
Well, they, they, they seemed quite convinced at least, but of course they're going on 19th century versions. So there might be like doctors mm-hmm. out there right now being like, no, that's not at all what atropine, blah, blah, blah. But let anyways, us know, docs. <laughs> yeah, let us know. Uh, but the doctors at the time, at least, you know, they noted, and we'll get into some of the trial notes. We'll actually read some of those to their accounts of, of that. But so Toppin, she's doing this. She's kind of playing with them and experimenting. And she liked to sort of drag this out, this process out, because it was just kind of fun for her, I guess. Um, she would she would particularly like to bring the patients to sort of the edge of death where they were like almost dead and then just, you know, stop giving them the medications. They get better and then bring them back again. And this was something she she claimed she really um, enjoyed doing. And then, but at a certain point she would, she would decide, nope, I'm gonna kill him now. So she would give them a fatal dose of the stuff. And then when the appropriate time she would, when they were about to die, she would crawl into bed with them, hold them closely and watch them as they died. She quite enjoyed that apparently uh, well, by, her own, uh... by her own account. <laughs> We actually have an account of a, of a patient who survived, and it's not clear whether she was trying to kill this patient that night because the person, uh, Amelia Finney, had just had a surgery. And so Toppin came in, gave her some some unknown drug that Finney said tasted bitter. Uh, and then and then she just, Finney started getting kind of woozy. She lost consciousness, but, but, but later kind of vaguely remembered. She kind of had this impression that Toppin had crawled into bed with her and was kissing her all over her face. And then at a certain point during this, uh, top and just jumped out of bed and ran off and there was someone who walked in or something like that uh, a little bit later or walked by um, and Finney at the time didn't think anything of it she just thought she had dreamed it or hallucinated it or whatever because the next day she woke up she was better and so she just left the hospital um, so she probably lucky for her because if she had stuck around might not have lived but so she left and then later later when the the stuff about Toppin was coming out she was like oh maybe maybe I did not dream that after all <laughs> That's yeah. She she's got to be on some drugs, like yeah, yeah. To, oh, that's weird. What? Yeah, that's yeah. It's yeah. a bit weird kissing her around her face. Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> All right. The Toppin Toppin would later say that when she was like holding them in, um, you know, when they were dying, when she was watching them die and all that, it gave her something of a sexual thrill. So there's probably <laughs> something there. Uh, so this this all this because it wasn't weird enough. Yeah. Yeah, the all this didn't go completely unnoticed by her coworkers. She did uh, uh, her obsession apparently with autopsies. The doctors and stuff noticed she was quite loved, loved to be take part in the autopsies and all. I this feel this thing. is like one of those indicators, you yeah. know, where it's like where the the where the kid's been like killing animals or whatever, and it's like mm, probably yeah. something wrong with that kid. It's like the nurse who's really into autopsies. <laughs> Yeah, and then she also occasionally would get dinged for uh, noticing she accidentally would overdose patients or give them the wrong dosages of certain medications. This was occasionally noticed, but it was just like, oh, that was, what an accident. And she was apparently very charismatic, kind of played it off. Whoops-a-daisy. Um, yeah, whoops. <laughs> uh, didn't mean to do that. So, so it, I mean, she's still, and her patients loved her, so the doctors were quite happy to recommend her to patients later, too, when she no longer worked at the hospital, which we'll get to. Yeah, she was just a great nurse. And yeah, if you go actually read the trial notes, which are quite long, but the accounts of the of some of her ex-patients and the, the people talking about um about, about watching her take care of some of the people she was killing, it was she seemed great. Um, yeah. you can definitely see why why they liked her. So yeah, she eventually got sort of not really a promotion, but to a better hospital. She got hired on in eighteen eighty nine at the Massachusetts General Hospital, which was um quite a, you know, an accomplishment there too. So because she was good at her job. And and it appears she she seems to have murdered several people there as well in kind of the same way. Uh, but but she only she only lasted a year there. Uh, she was fired uh, for breaking hospital rules, and it seems like their accounts are kind of conflicting on what what exactly 
they fired her for. But it seems like it was just that she had kind of a practice of leaving without permission and not really, you know, so it wasn't always on the job when she was supposed to be. That's um, what they got her for rather than all yeah. the murder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so she goes back. She kind of works as a private nurse for a little bit. And then she gets the, her, her old job back at Cambridge. But she was fired there pretty quickly because, again, she her little accidental overdosing and giving incorrect doses. That sort of. Yeah, this seemed to increase. She started yeah. doing this more and more. And so there was no longer it was like, yeah, no, you're well, you're fired. And so but she was still a good nurse. So she didn't have any trouble. You know, doctors would recommend her for patients who needed someone to come care for them at their homes. Where there's obviously much better supervision about drug amounts. <laughs> yeah. So she she got uh, a lot of jobs like that, um, as we'll get into here. And this this is where things start to become a little easier to track. Like the, the accounts start to become um, easier, you know, than the, the later news accounts and what, what mm-hmm. she was actually doing. Because obviously when she's dealing with tons of patients, it's hard to tell, you know, like, which ones did she actually kill and which ones just died of their own account and this sort of thing. Oh, okay. That does, yeah. That makes yeah, sense. but but once she's you know more one on oneing it, it's a little easier to track the mysterious death the of all trail these people. Of bodies, <laughs> yeah, pretty much as we will soon see. The 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 first sort of definitive one was in 1895 with uh, it was her landlord actually Israel Dunham. She decided to kill him, and then uh, directly after she moved in with his widow to work as a servant for Doc. Yeah. Uh, and this this is sort of a trend where she would kill people and then to get a job, uh, you know, like this this was a thing that she did. And then two years later, she killed the widow, too, because, you know, why not? And to asked why, why, why did she do this? Um, why did she kill the, the mm-hmm. couple? And or why yeah, did you, she kill them? Yeah. Would you like to read why? Okay. Uh, oh, well, that was the reason. Uh, okay. <laughs> the, the reason here to quote was they were old and cranky. Yeah. All right. There's lots of old and cranky people I know who I'm not killing. Well, she did later uh, talk about how that she thought old people, like it didn't really matter because they didn't really, why Why should old people live anyway? They weren't really good for much in her opinion. So how old are we talking here? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, uh, I mean, if you look at... this was a hundred and something years ago, so people weren't yeah. living so long. Well, actually, uh, people, if you made it to adulthood back then, it wasn't actually... I mean, yes, the, the average age lifespan was a little less because, you you know, you were more likely to die of things as old. But it was actually more the infant mortality rate that was driving down the average. So if you if you made well, it to adulthood, then you could you would actually it wasn't that far off modern times, uh, the average lifespan. So I thought infant mortality was disregarded from stats because they don't count the first year of life. Right. Well, not just that, but uh, I should also mention, I should say, like just the, the teens, the childhood ages, like these uh, kids, okay. kids so, died yeah. a lot. And so the more you could, more you could reduce that from happening, the 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 higher the average has kind of gone because of that. If you actually, it's a similar thing. If you make it to seventy, you're you're actually more likely you're not gonna like if if seventy seven's the average, but you make it to seventy, your average, you're more likely to be like an eighty something or you know this sort of thing. Um, this, have you seen the actuar- actuarial actuarial? have you say that word tables about this where it gives you the no. estimates like this is fun you'd like this you'd probably get a kick out of this like there's whole tables and it'll tell you like if you live to this age mm-hmm. then you make it then your average life expectancy increases to this uh, it, yeah. this whole like huge tables of this is yeah. it's, it's quite interesting yeah and this this was the same thing back then only it was basically if you made it to like 18 20 years old you you had a very good chance of you know living to 60 70 or whatever mm-hmm. um you know uh, so, so, th- but if you do look at the confirmed kills of hers out there, they they were they tend to be like the 60, 70, that kind of range, okay, ish. 
Um, there was, you know, a smattering of like 40 year olds in this sort of business, but you know, for the most part, uh, for the most she part, she wasn't kidding them because they were old and cranky. She had other reasons. Yeah. Oh, she had other reasons. So Many going reasons. to 1899, this is when she really started like killing like crazy. Uh, and she may, and she's, Seems to have done a lot of killing before, but these these are the trackable, more trackable ones. So fast forwarded to 1899, and her foster sister Elizabeth is feeling just a little down. So Jane decides to cheer her up, inviting her out. So Jane and her uh, go out to Elizabeth's uh, little. She has like a little vacation home on the water, and so they they have a picnic with which Jane prepares for her, and okay. then she brings the food and some uh, some water, which she has put a, a little dose of strychnine in. And she has, oh. Elizabeth, she has Elizabeth drink it, which causes Elizabeth to fall ill. And then over the course of the following week at the vacation home, the, uh, you know, she's Jane. Oh, Jane's a good nurse. She's my foster sister. I will, I will have her take care of me. And so Jane is taking care of Elizabeth and she's kind of doing the thing that she does where she's bringing him close to death and back and this sort of things. And there's doctors, you know, coming in to, to look, look after. And this is the thing over all these things. There's so many, so many doctors that are overviewing and, and normally they would be able to spot some of these sort of things. But like Jane Toppin was very good at masking what she was doing uh, and making it so the symptoms didn't really line up with anything. The doctors would automatically, oh, yeah, this is a morphine overdose or, oh, yeah, this is this is strychnine or this sort of thing. And she was just really good at it. And they were right, right under their noses. Is there any, this is Elizabeth who she grew up with yep. for like a decade and then mm -hmm. ended up working for for a decade. They left on good terms. And then she's like, hey, come for a picnic because you're depressed and I'm going to poison you with strychnine. Yeah. yeah it what? turns out. Was, was there a reason? It turns out she hated Elizabeth for uh, for basically, and I mean you can you can you can kind of yeah. see when she finally decided to kill Elizabeth. Uh, you can read this nice little quote from her. I held her in my arms and watched with delight as she gasped her life out. Oh, mm -hmm. okay, so not Elizabeth's biggest fan. Yeah, but but outwardly, outwardly, like like all her patients, she she you know was very charismatic and nice. Uh, and so it, it seems that she was jealous because Elizabeth was very pretty and she wasn't like she was uh, she was not just not terribly attractive, but also apparently quite overweight um, in this. And Elizabeth was apparently quite, quite good looking. And also Elizabeth's husband, Ormal, she she kind of liked him. Um, as oh. we'll get we'll get into later. Uh, this 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 circles around uh, in a bit. She also managed to make okay. a little profit off this death because she then went to Ormal and she said, hey, on her deathbed, Elizabeth said I should, she wanted me to have her gold pocket watch and chain, you know, she just is sort of a memento for, our, you know, past foster sistership. And uh, so, yeah, Ormo was like, sure, here you go. That's, you know, here you go, have it. And so then she, you know, Jane went and sold, sold those off to get some money. And then she gets a job with a uh, Mary McClear, who's also an elderly lady uh, as a servant. Oh, no, and this then, isn't going to end well. No, no. No, she's and, working and so, for her. She's old. Yeah. She, <laughs> She kills her quite promptly and then Ugh. steals. It's thought she stole some, you know, clothes and things like this, which back then clothes were quite valuable. And so, yeah, they, she did that. And then Ugh. she goes a couple of months later. She she also she wanted a uh, she needed a job, I should say. And she had a friend of hers named Myra Connors. And so she went ahead who had a good job. Yeah. So she had a good job as a dining hall worker at the, the theological school. And so, you know, Jane wanted the job. So mm -hmm. she killed her. Oh. <laughs> and then and then yeah, she indeed. went. Yeah, as you do. And then she went to the dean and said, to, you know, as her friend, she's well acquainted with the job and she's, you know, looking for work. So could she have the job? And and the dean was like, sure, uh, here you go. You're, you're the job. And this one, this one, actually, the accounts seem universally to agree that her subordinates there loathed her 
and and she really didn't know what she was doing at the job and she did not last there she lasted um she lasted she worked for a little bit a couple months and then there was they had like the summer off and then she came back uh to work more and then she was promptly fired because her you know their complaints from her fellow workers were piling up uh, she didn't really know what she was doing and she also seemed to be stealing money or at least not keeping the books correctly and so mm-hmm. they they fired her and so then she moves on to poisoning one melvin and eliza beetle and this this a lot of the accounts say that these were her landlords but this doesn't make sense uh given something we're going to talk about soon enough so i just i don't know were they her landlords i don't know either either way she poisoned melvin and eliza beetle in 1901 to make them ill and then she also uh, uh poisoned their housekeeper and the, the point here seems to be that she was trying to make the housekeeper seem like she was you know drunk or intoxicated on the job when she was supposed to be taking care of the ill melvin and eliza and so this this ended up getting the housekeeper fired and then jane got the job uh to take care of them instead so she was you know gainfully employed and luckily for melvin and eliza this entered the scene is mary maddie davis one of the many marys who's um goes by maddie and she comes knocking to collect five hundred dollars in rent from from uh jane which is about fifteen thousand dollars today who <laughs> owed them and this is where this is where the fact that they did the all the accounts that say the melvin was their uh was their landlord doesn't make sense because maddie davis was her landlord um, and uh, she was living okay. in there and this was at the same time so i don't know i couldn't quite get the discrepancy there so i'm just gonna just... assume with melvin and liza she just wanted the job or something um in terms of perspective there so for her 10 years and becoming an adult she got 50 dollars to go and start her life with yeah and then she owed someone 500 dollars in rent mm-hmm. that's an yeah, extraordinary I mean, amount of money yeah this was i mean a few decades later so i mean it's slightly but yeah it is fifteen thousand yeah. dollars today that's still a lot of money for especially for a woman back then a single woman yeah, i mean you know and as we talked about in previous episodes fifteen thousand dollars if you're poor and you know because there was a huge difference, right, back in the day. Like, some, mm-hmm. there was the Burke and Hare guys, and yeah, they were killing yeah. people. And then it was like, oh, yeah, over a year, they made like $22,000 in today's money. Yeah. So yeah. split between them, it's like eleven grand each. And this is around the same uh, sort of same and century, poor, right? And poor Jane Toppin, a century earlier, she could have made a, made a killing off these selling <laughs> these bodies. <laughs> Just sort of. That would have been great for her. She would have been a great third partner. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very few scruples. Not only getting jobs from these things, but also making money on the bodies. But but now, yeah, now they they didn't they didn't need that. So so yeah. So she, so Mary Maddie Davis. We'll just call her Maddie from here on out because there's so many Marys. Uh, she comes along to collect from from Toppin and Toppin. You know, other people would say this is a problem because she presumably didn't have the money, or the rest she would have been paying it all along. And but she she saw some opportunity here. And she then uh, gave Maddie some some water that was laced with uh, some sort of a poison and uh, and this this caused her to fall ill and then shortly thereafter she managed to jane managed to secure a job with her with maddie's husband alden because maddie passed away unexpectedly and and alden now he had this he had this tenant who owed him a lot of money and uh, and also needed a job so and he needed someone now to kind of take over some of the the duties around wait, the wait. house and stuff when you say like maddie davis died suddenly yeah like yeah. Oh, is yeah. That she, an accident? Is that just like natural causes? Yeah. No, she she definitely definitely under 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 Jane's care, uh, tender care. Yeah, and it was noted by yeah, it was noted by uh, the uh, in the in the trial notes. Uh, it was mentioned that one Doctor Ladder, and I couldn't find his first name anywhere in the trial notes. They're really long, but um, 
Uh, it was just sort of mentioned by one of the witnesses that Dr. Ladder had thought that Maddie must have died as complications owing to diabetes, um, which I mean, is kind of a fatal thing back then. So but he thought that's what she must have been suffering from all of a sudden to die in the way she did with the symptoms she had. And so he wasn't too suspicious about it or anything at this point. And so so Jane, she gets a job. She gets a job there uh, working for working for Alden. But the problem is she still owes the 64-year-old Alden Davis a lot of money. And so uh, kind of a mysterious thing starts to happen around the house um, where it just starts bursting into flames randomly. <laughs> and and uh, But the fire kept getting extinguished before it could do any major damage. And it's thought here that Jane was perhaps trying to destroy records of the debt she owed the Davises. Because uh, one right. of one of the fires was started in a closet that had a lot of documents, um, so it's thought maybe <laughs> convenient. I, yeah, and this this is just you know this is just speculated. No one really knows if this was what she was doing or what. But there was a lot of fires. Maybe she was just trying to burn down the house because she hated them or something. Uh, either way, uh, if she wanted to kill them, she she knew how to do that. Yeah, seems more there's more to it than that. So these fires are happening, and then a little bit later, Alden's daughter. Uh, Genevieve, uh, she suddenly dies on July 26th. And uh, this, this, it seems, um, so, so this is interesting. This Dr. Ladder, maybe he was just a horrible doctor because he, he declares, according to the witness in the trial, that mm-hmm. Genevieve died of a broken heart. And then this is, this is, <laughs> that's not, are you a real doctor? <laughs> exactly. Are you like that Dr. Nick on The Simpsons? Like, uh, Hi, so. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So and this this is funny because the the witness noted that Jane then told the doctor nobody dies of a broken heart. It must have been something else. And Jane tells the doctor this, the doctor who's convinced it's just, ah, whatever, broken heart, you know, this daughter. And Jane actually is like, no, it has to be something else. Like investigate more. Why? Just she likes the danger. Maybe, maybe she got a thrill out of it, or maybe she just, maybe it makes her seem really sympathetic because, you know, it seems like, no, really look into this. Let's see, you know, this poor young woman or whatever. But either way, either way, uh, she's, she's dead now. And this, not long after, on August 8th, Alden suddenly dies and him... Uh, suffering from a stroke, and this the doctors determined must have been uh, and a broken La- brain. <laughs> yeah. Doctor oh, Ladder, Doctor Latter was one of the ones who others as well thought it must have just been stress and heartache from you know he he had they thought he had a poor heart anyway he was old um, and the stress and heartache must have caused him to have a stroke or whatever and then he died you know his wife and his youngest daughter just suddenly died that's quite heartbreaking and all this so so that's kind of what they they determined but then. Just just four four days later, on August twelfth, and or the morning of is sort of the evening of August twelfth, morning of the thirteenth, somewhere somewhere in there. Uh, Alden's other daughter, the the re- final remaining daughter, Minnie. Her she's also named Mary, but went by Minnie. And her uh, Minnie Gibbs was with her name, mm-hmm. and she suddenly died. And this one, this this one, it's a little weird because Minnie had a ten year old son, and it would seem. Jane then, like on when she was in the process of killing the mother, instead of laying in bed with the mother like she did with some of her patients, she instead took the 10-year-old son to her bed to comfort him. And it's not really clear what was going on there, but either way, his mother was laying, dying in the other room and died dead by morning. Um, this and this, that was that was it. The whole family is gone and presumably, you know, so is her debt or maybe records of it at that point. But but yeah, this this finally got the authorities being like, wait a minute. You know, this, this top and this is not normal for an entire family to drop dead. And, you know, in the course Finally. of a month. Yeah. 
So they they start to get a little suspicious. There's some some eyebrow raising going on, and so now mm-hmm. we're gonna go back to Ormel. I said he would come back in this the story at some oh, point. Oh, the 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 preacher yeah. husband. Yeah, of yeah the, 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 the Elizabeth. Yeah. So so with her with her debt problem settles, it seems Jane was like, "Hey, I'd like a husband," and so okay. she goes she goes and but first. You know, she's got Edna Bannister's, Ormil's older sister, and I, I presume maybe living living with him. And she's, you know, just wanted to get her out of the way. Uh, but either way, she killed Edna Bannister. To um, it seems like she thought she was a little bit of an obstacle to her her love making plans with Ormil, and so she got rid of her. <laughs> and and then she goes to Ormil and uh, and you know wants to wants to work for him, wants to you know pursue a relationship, and he's not interested in her in the slightest. And this uh-huh. is a problem. So she naturally she poisons him, but she doesn't. She doesn't want to kill him. Yeah, naturally. She doesn't want to kill him because this is the man she wants. You know, she wants to be his wife. So she just poisons him enough to get him sick. And she's a great nurse. So she then uh, gets, a, gets a little, she thinks maybe she'll she'll nurse him back to health. And then he'll be like, oh, yeah, I really do like you. You're, you're a good woman. Uh, it's like that Stephen King book. Oh, yeah. Misery. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's yeah. a great book. You've read that. Yeah. 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 I like that. Uh, so, so, but even when he gets better, he rejects her advances once again. And, and this, this this upsets her and it's not clear at this point i mean everybody agrees he threw her out of the house uh, somewhere around this point uh you know after he was better but some accounts say that she claimed she was pregnant by him and that that you know now you know he had to take her in or whatever as a as a, as a wife but uh, okay uh, i feel other, like no yeah. Like, mm, no not really possible yeah, or or maybe was possible, and he just was like, uh, either way. Uh, so either way, she also attempted to kill herself at this point. However, however, she attempted to kill herself by morphine overdose, and this is a woman who is nah, an expert. She knows what's up. Expert on morphine overdoses, so it would seems more likely that it was of just a fake suicide attempt to just get some sympathy, maybe or something like that, because she did not overdose to the point of dying. She just overdosed to the point of you know getting hospitalized. And uh, she recovered just fine in the hospital. And then either way, at this point, definitely she no longer was with in the, the Ormel household. And uh, yeah, and at this point, she's also seeing in the um, in the newspapers that it turns out the bodies of the Davis families are going to be exhumed. They're doing there's some investigations going on. And, and because Minnie Gibbs's father-in-law, he, he, he was uh, wealthy enough to hire a very good toxologist in Leonard Wood to re-examine the bodies to see like was did they actually die of what these other you know this Dr. Nick from the Simpsons <laughs> thought they did she actually of. die of a, do- a broken heart and he's like seems unlikely to me <laughs> yeah pretty much so he hires this this Leonard Wood is apparently one of the best toxologists in the country at the time so he hires him to go uh, look at them and so they exhume the bodies and she and Jane reads this in the newspaper and so at this time she's she's kind of homeless and she decides to then uh, skip town basically and go visit her, a friend of hers Sarah Nichols in New Hampshire kind of get out of town and also just a place to stay but unlucky for her they were of course the authorities had been suspicious of her at this point and so they uh, assigned a detective by the name of John Patterson uh, yeah mm. to to go to follow her to follow her without her knowing smart yeah and so they knew exactly where she went there wasn't and back then like this would have been a thing like she might have been able to get away like disappear and no one would know where she went it is crazy like within the same country i feel like nowadays if you've got to skip town you got to go live in some like crap country where it's too hot all the time and there's lots of crime yeah basically you got to disappear someplace like that but back then you could just go you know you could go like one city over and you might get away with it uh so (laughs) but she goes to new hampshire and but they knew exactly where she was. And then so once the toxicologist looked over the bodies, he determined that, yes, indeed, 
uh, I think these I think these people have been poisoned. And so then finally, on October the 29th of 1901, uh, while still in New Hampshire, they they uh, arrest Jane Toppin. And so this once again, coming back to her sort of uncanny charm. So she's in jail. And the wife, the wife of the warden actually becomes really good friends with Jane and thinks, no, she's completely innocent. I don't, you know, there's not, this woman couldn't have possibly done these things. Yeah. Which is just crazy. No, no. And, and at this point you might think, oh, this is cut and dry, right? They have this great toxicologist, exhume the bodies, look at the bodies, all these family died at once. You have this death trail behind Jane, if you look into it much. Seems which is pretty locked were. in, I mean. Yeah, but. It's it a was. huge amount of coincidence. Exactly. But they do need actual evidence. And it turns out it wasn't cut and dry at all because what they originally thought the Davises had died from was arsenic poisoning. And so this was what the prosecutors were going with and stuff. But well, they she got, was doing the morphine thing, right? Yeah. They got a rude awakening when, yes, their bodies all had lots of arsenic. But it turns out they then discovered that the arsenic was used in the embalming process. And so this was not this wasn't like evident, like even if she had been using arsenic, it couldn't prove it. It could have been just from the um, the embalming and they might have died from other things. Um, Oh, no. Yeah. So this this was uh, briefly sort of like, "Mm, this is a problem. We don't really know. And so this then then it got suggested by um, sort of conflicting accounts as to who suggested it. But um, it seemed there was there was some suggestion that, wait a minute, what if you if you combine morphine and atropine together you might get you might get the symptoms that we were seeing in the mini Gibbs. Uh, you mm-hmm. might get the symptoms they saw in that. So so maybe that's what happened. And so this this is ends up what the prosecution goes with is this this must be what she was using, and it does appear that that is that. And so now now we get to the do you want to do the reenactment reenactment? Absolutely, I do. You're gonna play prosecutor, and I'll play Doctor Frank. Yeah, Frank Parker Hudnit. Yeah, he does have a full name. I just like Doctor Frank. All right, go on then. Supposing that morphine and atropine had been given to Mrs. Gibbs in doses sufficiently large to kill her, would that account for the condition in which you found her? I think it would. I will ask you if you can tell us what the effect is of morphine. Uh, Very often the first effect of a large dose of morphine is possibly slight acceleration, which would pass very quickly into a slowing down of the pulse, a possible cooling off of the surface, a drowsy quieting of the whole system with rapidly coming on unconsciousness, possibly within a half hour if the dose is very large or at the latest an hour, and the patient might become unconscious. During this time, they are quite easily roused during the first part after giving the dose by loud talking or anything like that. You can arouse them. You have to keep at them or they will go back into the condition brought about by the dose of the drug. In a short time longer, they will become entirely unconscious and then it is almost impossible to arouse them. The extremities become cold. They are bathed in a cold sweat. The lips are blue. The action of the heart is very slow and the respiration drops down to often at eight or ten. In fatal cases, they go down to even four. They are apt to have a rise of respiration, a slowing and an increasing respiration, and then go on to an acme and then stop and begin over the same way. Any appearance of the eyes that would be different? Yes. You get a pinpoint pupil, which comes on almost at once, and just before death you are apt to get a dilation, just as death is supervening the pupil dilates. In Mrs. Gibbs's case, one pupil dilated and one not quite so much. The effects of atropine, can you tell us about those? 
I have never seen a case of poisoning by atropine, but in large doses, you get very generally opposite effects from what you do by morphine. That is, you get a dilated pupil, you get uh, increased respiration, you are apt to get a form of delirium and convulsions, muscular twitching, dryness of the skin, dryness of the mouth, and all the secretions of the body are more or less interfered with. Morphine and atropine, are they counteracting? They are counteracting to a certain extent, one against the other. Do you know anything about the taste of morphine? Morphine is very bitter. Do you know anything about the taste of hunyadi? Hunyadi also has a bitter, salty taste. I really thought that said Hyundai. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, and I actually had to look up what, what is that. And it turns out it's a salt curative water and it contains sodium sulfate and magnesium sulfate and it's used as a laxative. Oh, so he was hiding it. He was hiding the morphine in the salty drink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's sort of, I mean, a little bit like the Epsom salt or whatever, just sort of a laxative. And so this was this was uh, what she administered the the water. And this uh, that was fun, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this, these transcripts. They, there was multiple doctors interviewed. I, I chose this one because it just seemed to, it was kind of the shorter of the summation. But um, but they all kind of said the same thing. Uh, but yeah, that, that was kind of it was kind of it's fun to read the trial notes sometimes to, to see, you know, the, the interactions and everything. I was thinking how cool it would be. Do you remember we mentioned previously the Apollo transcripts of the oh, yeah. thing to get like a group of actors together and get them to 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 do these? So it'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. highlights from the Apollo transcripts. Yeah, I liked your doctor voice as well. You have the great accents here, so it sounds all like refined and everything. You know, except this guy was definitely an American. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Although you guys sounded different back then, right? That's true. Yeah, that that's absolutely true. So. So yeah, the, in the end, the, the jury was convinced and also Toppin would uh, eventually go on to explicitly confess to 11 murders, although she would, to her lawyer, her lawyer would later state that he told her, or he told him, that she actually killed about 31. But then later she also would say it was actually more like 100 or so, and she really didn't Whoa. know. She really wasn't sure how many she had killed. It's just Haven't like a lot. Haven't we mentioned like 31 today, I feel like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is this is she's she killed a lot, basically, somewhere you can say between 11, definitely killed at least 11, possibly as much as 100, whatever. It's not really clear, uh, you know, this is somewhere in there. She killed a lot of people, the point being. Um, so. So, yeah. And she also she also kind of went to she ended up confessing in the newspapers and everything, giving full accounts of her, her uh, some of her misdeeds and stuff and, and what she did. So. Um, so yeah. in one in the New York Journal, she actually kind of stems it back to why. So what 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 went wrong? Why did she go go bad? And she claimed, she claimed anyway that a sixteen uh, when she was sixteen, uh, an older man had had promised to marry her. He was a clerk of some sort. She didn't. I don't believe she gave her name any, or at least not anywhere I could find uh, where she gave his name. But just some guy, he gave her a ring and he promised to marry her. And uh, and then he dumped her for another woman. Um, not long after. And so this, you know, who knows if that's actually true. But either way, said Toppin in the interview. If I had been a married woman, I would not have killed all of those people. I would have had my husband, my children and my home to take up my mind. Uh, I don't know yeah. about this, man. I kind yeah. of think like should have had a husband and children to kill. Yeah. If like, it was yeah, exactly convenient for her or whatever. Uh, but, but yeah, so like this anything mildly inconvenient, she'll just knock people off. Yeah, so there's been a lot of speculation about like this and was did any such man exist or was she just trying to get some sympathy? Because there does seem to be like she was very happy about the outcome of the trial. 
uh, of what ended up happening. And it seems like, so she got um, convicted, of course, and sent to an asylum. And it seems like she was very happy about this because she could have been executed. She could have been, you know, given right. prison for life. And so this seemed good because she was very charismatic. People liked her. And she, it seems like she may have thought, I'm going to be able to get out of this scot-free. I'm just going to go there. I'll charm the doctors. Eventually they'll be like, ah, oh, this woman's totally sane now. You know, this will we'll just let her go. And so this seems so maybe this was like a way to start to start to sow the seeds of, you know, sympathy for her. Like, oh, she could be normal if she just, you know, led a normal life. She didn't have to kill all these people or whatever. She must have been ultra charming. Because yeah. it's like reading this in text, you're like, please. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, so this maybe people speculate maybe that's what she was going for here with this. Or maybe this story really did happen. That's exactly, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think she probably would have still killed people anyway. But either way, I agree. She had a husband to rein her in. Come on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, and as mentioned before, she she noted that uh, she didn't really see any point to keeping the elderly alive. She also mentioned in the confession that she got a sexual thrill about uh, you know having the patients die in her arms and sort of watching watching their eyes and things like this as they were dying. Uh, and so yeah, and but she did she did again uh, some speculation that she was trying to you know, sow the seeds that maybe she could be cured is where she see um she claimed these impulses that were only temporary and that so and she said to quote when the paroxysm passed I was myself again I cared no longer for the patients to die hmm. so just a temporary thing that would come over her yeah but uh, yeah so then um according to uh, an October 21st, 1906 uh, edition of the Washington Times, where it's the, the title was the, the Modern Lucretia Borgia, ha- Haunted by the Phantoms of Her Victims, is Facing Death. Um, she, she initially said she had no remorse whatsoever uh, for, her, for her actions uh, while there. And then she has a nice lengthy quote set of her feelings about, about her, you know, her, the things she did. I feel absolutely the same as I always have been. I might say I feel hilarious. <laughs> What? Uh, continuing the quote. But perhaps that expresses it too strongly. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe, Jane. Uh, continuing the quote. I do not know the feeling of fear and I do not know the feeling of remorse, although I understand perfectly what these words mean. Now I cannot sense them at all. I do not seem to be able to realize the awfulness of the things I have done, though I realize very well what those awful things are. I try to picture it by saying to myself, I have poisoned Mary, my dear friend. I have poisoned Mrs. Gibbs. I have poisoned Mr. Davis. But I seem incapable to realize the awfulness of it. Why don't I feel sorry and grieve over it? I don't know. I seem to have some sort of paralysis of thought and reason. And I actually looked it up because I was curious, hilarious. like her, her use of the word hilarious was interesting. And I was wondering, like, was the definition a little different back then uh-huh. as, as happens? And, and it was, it does seem to be the hilarious as far as extremely amusing definition didn't come about for a couple decades after she said this. Okay. So it seems like what she was referring to there was a joyful state. She feels very joyful. Uh, I, I might say uh, I feel joyful. Okay. Uh, but so, yeah. Again, it seems that perhaps she thought she could, this was, you know, she could charm her way out of it. She could, you know, oh, I was insane, but oh, now I feel such remorse now, you know, later, like she would come around to say this, but, but it, this didn't, didn't work out for her. It seems like she perhaps did, uh, you know, probably, I mean, she very well may have been completely insane as the doctors all thought, uh, or she just may have been lacked any empathy whatsoever and just kind of been one of those style of, of, you know, serial killers. She, um, everything up until this point, she does seem just like a cold, calculating, enjoying yeah. people watching die movie yeah. style yeah. serial so, killer. So was she actually really insane? Like you might think of like just a complete crazy person or was she just someone who had like no empathy whatsoever and just, you know, this 
got some joy from this for whatever reason. And so, I mean, like you might call that insane in some respects, but, you know, otherwise, you know, fully capable of, you know, living in society other than that, that, but either way, either way, the, she did a very good job of convincing the doctors in the trial that she was insane. Cause of course she seems to have been going for that. So she wouldn't be executed or whatever. Um, and so, uh, so we have a quote from Dr. George Jelly. Is his real ah, name? Doctor Jelly. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Jelly. During the during the um, trial, he I, I he had this quote: "The result of those examinations was that I reached the opinion that the defendant was insane and irresponsible for the crimes for which she is charged; that she was suffering from a form of degenerative insanity characterized by the absence of moral sense, by defective control, and by irresistible impulse to the commission of extreme crimes. Her condition is constitutional, probably hereditary." confirmed and renders such a person always dangerous and a menace to society if at yeah. large yeah, and that always dangerous and there was a there was um other other doctors who concurred with that that she would never she was incurably insane and so she must always be locked up and so this despite her sincerest efforts to charm people in the asylum and try to get out it wasn't working out for her they really didn't seem to have any interest in letting her out whether whether because they actually thought she was still crazy or just because you know they knew what crime she committed and they're like no we're not ever going to let you out yeah either way uh, it's a win yeah. on this this one yeah. like, that's cool <laughs> yeah so um so this this she actually her condition seems to have actually really then deteriorated her mental state as i mean the asylums back then weren't weren't awesome places to be and so you know, that's not necessarily surprising. Like we talked about that um, Nellie Bly when she got convicted or got herself. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Where yeah. She pretended she, to be insane. Yeah. And she actually talked about that where she was like, yeah, if I if you weren't insane when you before you got here, mm -hmm. you would be after a number of years here because they would do stuff like you sit on a bench, a wood bench all day. That's you wake up, you go, you sit on the bench, they have breaks for, you know, eating in the bathroom. But otherwise you sit on the bench and you just sit there and you're not allowed to do anything. You're just sitting there and this these types of things. And they were quite abusive to the patients and stuff like that. And so this this was kind of like the asylums weren't weren't great places to be. And so, you know, yeah, you know, whether she was naturally inclined to be insane, already insane or whatever her condition really did seem to deteriorate at this point. Um, but otherwise, she led kind of a quiet life uh, at the asylum, didn't really cause any problems, didn't kill anyone. Uh, and she 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 did in, in the early days when when um, tried to kind of cause it. She caused a bit of a ruckus when um, she just kind of started eating, start, stopped eating because uh, mm -hmm. she seems to have been convinced that they were trying to poison her, whether she actually was or this was an act is, is you know, who knows. But she, she actually wrote a letter on July 1st, 1904 to one Dr. Stedman stating, uh, Dr. Stedman, I wish to inform you that I'm alive in spite of the deleterious food which has been served me. Many efforts have been made to poison me. Of that, I am very sure. I am thin and very hungry all the time. Every nerve is calling for food. Why can't I have help? I ate a pint of ice cream and four oranges Saturday and Sunday. Signed, Jane Topman. It's such Topman. a funny, funny thing to add. <laughs> I ate a pint of ice cream. And four oranges, <laughs> specifically on thanks. Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, thanks for Righto. sharing. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. And that's nice ice cream. That's pretty good. I mean, it's, you know. It's not even tweet worthy. Yeah. So eventually they did have to, because she was refusing to eat and she was quite malnourished. Uh, they did force feed her by, uh, as she describes in a letter to a friend. Dear, I am the victim of nerve paralysis, the result of food. I have to eat or I am fed with a tube with nerve, with nerve paralyzing food that I choose from the tray. Oh, I think that you were criminals to put me through this. It was an awful thing to do to any human being, and I have my opinion of everybody who takes a hand in it. I think it has been a noble piece of work. 
I think as the nerves of my body get more benumbed, my brain becomes clearer to the outrageous course that has been taken with me. I suppose the next thing, something, will be given to me to put me out of the way altogether. That would be a mercy too, signed Jane Toppin. And her care condition seems to have actually genuinely gone downhill from here, just continuing down. And if we fast forward a little bit to 1906, there's a time piece that notes. She was continually soothing supposed patients, urging them to take imaginary doses and crying out that they were dying. So she does seem to be losing it. Yeah, yeah. And then they, they also go on a little more. The times this is, they go on. Yeah. She has naturally grown weaker and weaker, and as her strength has waned, the victims of her past have been more frequent and more terrifying. Sometimes now, it is not the attendants, but some of her victims who have returned to deal with her, even as she dealt with them. And she cowers in the abject fear before vengeance, which she believes is pursuing her, all unconscious of the punishment which really has overtaken her. Okay, so she does seem to be losing it. Like, yeah, yeah seems, and, seems like it. And yeah. she, but she does live a long time. She, in this state, she goes on for, for all the oh, way. Wow. She, she lives all the way to 81 years old. And so she was there for a few decades and uh, dying in 1938. Yay! Yeah. She's dead finally. She got to live until 81. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least she's dead. Yeah. 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 Is that, is that it? Is that, that's, that's that for that. We do have, <laughs> well, that was, that was macabre. Yeah, that that was a good one, and we do have some feedback, some interesting information from a um, from a one forum member called Falconerd, and he's a pharmacist. So, so to just give a reference, Falconerd's a fantastic. Username, it is, by the way, it is. And so, and back in the the episode, the prisoner, the Auschwitz, the guy who got himself, uh, you know, voluntarily put in Auschwitz. So oh, we this mentioned was a while back, right? Yeah, yeah. So so Falconerd rings in because we talked about uh, we kind of alluded to the fact that aspirin actually made the Spanish flu pandemic worse. And I couldn't, I think, if I remember correctly, we couldn't remember why exactly at the time. And so Falconerd, who is a pharmacist, uh, wrote, wrote in and a nice little quote, including, including he even, he even cited sources, which was great. So he's not, just, he's not just a random person online, you know, saying he's a pharmacist. He actually includes his sources as well. That's, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Shall I read this? Yes, absolutely. It's long. It's long. Yeah. So okay. this is, this is basically on why aspirin made the Spanish flu pandemic worse. Right, honestly, it's just going to be nice to have read something, to read something written in 2018 rather than yeah. all of the yeah. weird quotes from like 100 years ago yeah. where people spoke and wrote weird. Yeah. And to qualify when I say to make it worse, why more people died than would have otherwise died. That, that would qualify as worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Worse could mean many things there. So I wanted to specify what, in what way did it make it worse? I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Let me, uh, let me read this. First, this is during the era of snake oil medicines that are advertised as being cure-alls, so people took handfuls of aspirin to try and ward off the flu. This, uh, the widely recommended doses were extremely high by today's standards, 8,000 to 32,000 milligrams compared to 81 or 325 milligrams with a max of 4,000. And at that dose, it is, it is predisposed to lung toxicity and fluid filling the lungs, which worked in concert with the flu that also caused lung issues. Second, in kids, giving aspirin during viral infections can cause ray, ray, Syndrome, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but R-E-Y-E, -E, uh, vomiting, hyperventilation, delirium, and coma with brain swelling and fat in the liver and proximal renal tubules. This is why aspirin isn't recommended in kids younger than 15 anymore, and children's aspirin has been changed to low-dose aspirin for heart protection. 
Third, aspirin can cause bleeding because it inhibits the platelets, which make it more difficult for blood to clot. Technically, it is not an anticoagulant, but the end result is the same. Blood is prevented from clotting. Most people know the term blood thinner, but it doesn't actually change the viscosity of the blood. It just prevents blood from thickening. Also, fun fact... I like this guy's got a bonus fact in there, in his yeah. comment on our forum, essentially. Yeah. Uh, now for a bonus fact. A common anticoagulant, warfarin, is often used as rat poison by causing an overdose and thus uncontrolled bleeding. So when people infected with the flu started bleeding in their lungs, it didn't stop. I didn't know that. This, is, this was just like a great comment. Yeah, a great comment. Yeah. Thank you, uh... And I the was also, amazingly named Falconerd. Yes, and I was also just not just a pharmacist. Right below all this was nice, nice citations to various, mm -hmm. you know, things backing up. It. Uh, that's a top-notch comment right there. It's like the uh, to Mercola.com. Yeah, no. Oh. Yeah. oh no, Falconerd. Oh no, Falconerd. <laughs> Yahoo answers. No, no, they were actually good citations. But Yahoo answers. I take over Mercola.com. Mercola.com gets a shameful amount of Google exposure yeah. when you search for problems. That's a popular. Do you remember there was that time that, that Mercola actually linked to our old podcast and we got it was the number one downloaded episode? It suddenly got like 100,000 downloads or something all of a sudden for no particular reason. And we tracked it down to Mercola was citing us. And I wasn't I sure how to feel about this. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, so. At least they're getting some real information. Yeah. yeah. It's better than nothing. Than yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, that actually, what it was? What was the yeah, subject? Yeah, it was, it was uh, the, the bear or buyer aspirin. Uh, the buyer about the heroin. The heroin, when they, they came up with heroin and why they were kind of... And this we were actually talking about in that one. We were talking about the, the aspirin and this, this sort of same sort of thing. Um, but yeah, they came up with the heroin and they pushed that first instead of aspirin because they thought it was a much better kind of cure-all drug. And then it turned out to be really addictive. So then they, they switched to aspirin. Well, I remember it being marketed as less like heroin, the non-addictive morphine. Yeah, like, yeah. Didn't work out that way, did it, guys? No, no, no. And then morphine was also to help people get cured off of uh, uh, more of um, opiate addictions and stuff. So that was also, so it's like they kept building up to like even more and more addictive each mm. time. Um, but yeah, yeah, the heroin and then the name, if I remember correctly, was because it made the, the their lab people who were trying it out and stuff made them feel, feel heroic. <laughs> I with. bet it did. Yeah. <laughs> And and ingesting it as they did, rather than of course shooting it directly into their veins or whatever. The uh, this this actually has a much lesser effect, so that it wasn't like you know you think that sort of like insane effect right away. Like of course they must know it's it's super addictive, but but when they ingest it, you know through the stomach or whatever, it wasn't quite as bad. So it wasn't yeah. quite as clear. But yeah, great comment. Well, there you yeah. go. I like it. Yeah, uh, and then I've got a couple more. Uh, go on. Yeah. Oh, I, I was just gonna move on to the next one. Uh, yeah, uh, on YouTube. Uh, so we publish this on uh, YouTube as well. On YouTube as well, we just kind of grab it and put it up there. Uh, Truckiano says, "Guys, why don't you try a Joe Rogan format? Basically, put a video with audio, have a production guy in the room that produces quick visualization of topic discussed and so forth." I hope you get my drift. Uh, I think here, basically, have a production guy in the room. He might not be familiar with the fact that where are you, David? Yeah, I think this is the problem too. Is yeah, so we're we're like almost on opposite sides of the world. 
Yeah. It's just the magic of audio engineer engineering that makes this sound like we're together. We are we are far away. Yeah, and this to sync it up properly, and um, so in the in the audio, there's actually what did you say? Like, what was the first episode? Like, it's sixteen hundred cuts or something like that. I'm just uh, yeah. Well, it's it's complicated because first of all, there's a, there's always a little delay with Skype. So when yeah, it's like a one second, to, yeah, one second delay. Which I remember us finding out early on because I'd be like, okay, let's sync up the audio so it would count to five. And all I would hear is like, I'll be going one, two, three, four, five. And whenever I said one, or whenever I said two, you'd be saying one. I'd be like, no, dude, yeah. what are you doing? Just sync it up with me. Yeah. And they'd be like, I am. And it's like, then we realized it's almost exactly one second delay. Yeah. So, it, so there's that. And it was also in the beginning, there was, uh, it seemed like we were sort of felt like we were interrupting each other all the time because of this delay and stuff. And so there's just like lots of quotes uh, or a lot of cuts and things here and there. So the video would look a little... I think we've got better at it. Yeah, we have, I think. and the But I do think the video would look a little wonky unless we got really clever with it, which, I mean, at some point, maybe we could figure something out, but it's uh, it's difficult. It is. And I think I, I sent you quite a lengthy email about this. We had a big thread talking about this. And yeah, so just going back to the, orig- the, the original thing about how much this gets cut up, I was going to say that, like... The program we record into Adobe Audition is a great piece of software. And one of its amazing features is something called Delete Silence. So rather than having Joel, our producer, go through and slice out every little tiny gap, there's this thing you can run through and it'll basically be like, hey, there's a gap of like half a second here. Let's just drop that to a tenth of a second. And then you can tell it to do that to every gap in the thing. And it's actually amazing how good it's at, how, how effective that is. Yeah. And then and obviously it, there are all the cuts that are made afterwards. Yeah. And if we were in the same room, you wouldn't need all those because, you know, you wouldn't have these pauses all the time. So it makes it basically sound more like we are in the same room, like you're actually having conversations instead of having these little gaps all the time where, you know, because there's this one second delay and like waiting for the other person to finish. And then you start talking and, you know, this sort of yeah. thing. But I, it seems like a solvable problem at some point. But, you know, we, we have a lot of... Stuff, other stuff on the priority list yeah this this we're quite busy uh but i i personally i, I really do like that joe rogan format i think mm-hmm. especially for the interview format i think that was another thing i mentioned in the email it works particularly well uh h3 h3 also does this really yeah. really very well indeed um yeah and i think if you are in the same room and you do have a producer sitting in the room with you it, it does it does look good yeah, I think I think we could make it work. I also want to do like that where they do the split screen. Like, I don't know if you've seen the um, the Cinema Sins guy, Jeremy, his channel. He does that where he has those conversations with himself. And mm-hmm. so he's on both sides. Or Wheezy Waiter does this all the time. Lots of people do uh-huh. it where we're kind of in the same thing. And if you just do it just right, and I think we could do it with like the sound panels, if we put them in the exact pattern, bought the exact same sound panels from the same company. And so you'd have yeah. the exact back wall and the exact table from Ikea yeah, we both type. have IKEA, so yeah. that's that makes it easy. It makes it easy to get the same, to get all that, and that's and that's all you need is that back wall and the table to be perfect, and then it could make it appear we're in the same room, and then it would just take some, you know, some editing, get the lighting kind of just just so. Um, I mean, lighting doesn't have to be perfect, but just you know, reasonably close to each other, and that I think I think that could work at some point if we could get. I think uh, I think when this podcast is an international number one yeah, smash yeah. hit, uh, then yeah, then it'll be you know it'll be easier to figure out and the, yeah. the video and audio, audio wizardry. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's anyway, that's why we don't, uh, we haven't done that yet. That yes, was the original plan. That was plan. a very long answer to her. <laughs> that was the original plan. We actually originally did 
plan on filming it. And then it was like, well, this isn't going to work. No, it was it was messy. Also, anyone anyone who makes videos in Europe will attest to the incredibly annoying fact that like we both shoot on a camera called a Panasonic GH4. Your Panasonic GH4 will happily keep rolling and rolling and it'll film for hours until the memory card fills up. Mine every 29 minutes will stop recording and be like, hey, you need to press that record button again. Because remember, I'm not a video camera yeah. because of some yeah. duty. The tax, the the something. US one has the same thing, but it doesn't actually stop. It just creates a new file. So it like gets around that in a different way, but apparently the European laws must be slightly different where they know you literally have to stop recording. Whereas the US one is just like, okay, now we'll just create a new file <laughs> at this point. And so now you did stop recording and now you do lose like a, you know, like a split second of, of the thing, but you can't notice, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's slightly frustrating. They got rid of that in the GH5 apparently. Uh, the it now there it is now just this is a video camera and so the taxation is different but that's why of course why they did they did it different before but the GH5 they were like fine oh it's yeah a video I'm happy camera. to pay the like four percent difference or whatever it's gonna be <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but uh, yeah the GH5 quite expensive but uh, you know that would actually uh, yeah no that's that's pretty tempting actually yeah, now yeah. I'm just going to check that's true because... Yeah, it is true in the US at least. Uh, so yeah, we'll but you see. had it before yeah. that it was okay. Yeah, well, because mine was. Mine mine does that and it just keeps recording. But otherwise, yeah, otherwise our cameras are indistinguishable. All right, do you want to plug some reviews before we wrap things up today? I know we've got a bunch. Sure, like, sure. Uh, I haven't read the most recent few that, uh, uh, that are on there. Well, guess what? I'm going to read them right now. <laughs> Um, or some of them, at least. Just to remind people, we are doing a giveaway. Once we get to 200 reviews on iTunes, we're going to go through all the major platforms and choose someone at random to get a $200 Amazon gift card uh, from all of the reviews left so far. So if you, we did this at 100 reviews. Um, and if you did leave a review earlier, you're also, you've got a chance of winning as well. Yay. And $50 for two runner-ups. So, and you can leave us whatever reviews you like. The person who left us a two-star review stands just as good a chance. He says, dude has a very choppy voice. Sounds like he's sick. It's very distracting. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's fair. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to assume it's not. Oh, I'm definitely. No, they're definitely talking about me. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to say it because it says like not a voice for radio. And I think like yeah. this no. was my original thing doing the voice for yeah. radio. So I went ahead and assumed it wasn't me, but then didn't want to make it assumptions because people also don't like my accent and stuff sometimes. No. So you never uh, know. Uh, definitely. But, uh, you know, imparting a lot of information, it's not easy to be super smooth all the time. And also, you know, you have your own man. One has their own mannerisms for for the way they talk. So. It is. And honestly, I think we provide like tons of interesting information. So hopefully, yeah. while they say it's very distracting, hopefully it's not distracting enough to keep them coming back for yeah. more yeah. facts and factoids. You know, it's interesting. There's a, there's a podcast, um, it's Fangrass Audio, I don't know, with uh, there's this guy, Carson Sestouli. And it was funny because he kind of does the same thing. And I hated it too. Like at the beginning, the beginning, I was like, Carson Sestouli, I get rid of that Carson Sestouli. I hate, hate him. And then very quickly, within, you know, a couple months of listening I was like, no, this is my favorite podcaster. This he, uh, just his, wait. What what was his vocal style? It's very similar to mine, and very similar sort okay. of asides, random asides, like all of a sudden <laughs> talking about something completely different. And hated it at first, and then quickly was just like, no, this is the best podcaster out there. He was great, and he still is great. He's just a very uh, interesting guy. And uh, anyone want to check out if you're interested in baseball, and even if you're not interested in baseball, Carson Stooley is worth listening to. Um, 
Yeah. And the, the running gag over there is he's going to get fired at some point because uh, he's not, he doesn't really like baseball that much. And um, also, <laughs> also he is quite a unique person and doesn't, uh, you know, the podcast, he often tries to steer the conversation away from baseball whenever possible, even though it's a baseball <laughs> podcast. And, uh, and so the running joke is he has no skills. He has no, you know, nobody knows why he still has that job. And I'm like, if you get fired, Carson Sestouli, I'm hiring you because I, I could, <laughs> there's some shows we could do. This would be fun. Uh, okay, Carson Sestouliet. What was it? Fangraphs. I think Fangraphs I've audio. This. Yeah, it's good. It's good, and uh, and not all not all the episodes are about baseball quite quite often. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish up with a couple more positive reviews. Yeah. I don't know. I just I just yeah. grab that one first because we were talking about negative reviews. Yeah, uh, people do generally like our show. That's the <laughs> good news. That's good. 269 five star ratings, fifteen four, and then two three two 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 ones. So I think that's yeah. fairly solid overall. That's good. Um, May, May, Maya Krage, May, Maya Krage, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, says, love this, five stars. I came over from YouTube and have been tediously trying to find a podcast like this, listening to five minutes of every podcast that mentions facts or learning and isn't dry and formatted in a confusing way was ridiculously time-consuming and fruitless. I wish I had known about this sooner. You're welcome. Um, Ross underscore three says the best random knowledge podcast five stars found this show by chance a few months ago and it really? feels like when it wait hold on Ross <laughs> you didn't know us from YouTube because I think this is the okay that's, the first that's, reviewer yeah probably I'm sure there are people listening yeah, who don't yeah, totally. know us from YouTube lots, but lots. like isn't it like one percent yeah yeah uh, oh, was this welcome, a Ross. iTunes recommendation was this I, I want to know more I would genuinely really like to know this. Ross underscore three, if you're listening, drop us an email because this does really matter to us how people discover us when it's not like, hey, no. come over from our YouTube channel. Um, he goes on to say, uh, all right, maybe not that good, but <laughs> damn it, Ross, come on. Uh, so he says, it feels like winning the lottery. All right, maybe not that good, but it is a great lesson. Yeah, to be fair, winning the lottery is pretty awesome. Unless you got like we won the lottery and that like you bought like a, one of them $5 scratch tickets and then you won like $10. You know, you technically won That's the lottery. True, but then this, this, you know, I don't, it's not one of those things where you're like, wow. So, uh, what do you do? Oh, I won the lottery. <laughs> it's like, so what? No, I won like $10. I'm just unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this show is a very satisfying listen, uh, a very satisfying listen while the hosts blend facts and history with personal anecdotes and comedy. Their format has evolved over time and every change has been an improvement to the show. Early episodes are still very much worth listening to only for the charming whistle interstitials. Thanks for all the hard work you guys put into the show. And I normally listen on Podcast Addict, not through iTunes. I used to have Podcast Addict when I was on iTunes, uh, when I was on Android. It was the, the best one I found that was free. Uh, I still prefer that crappy podcast app on the iPhone, though. But there we go. I'm going to wrap it there. I don't want to do yeah. more reviews. I feel like I did three. It's yeah, that's, four. that's good. It's enough. And it's then enough. Uh, next week, next week, stay tuned for some interesting uh, computer-related history. It's going to be quite good. I promise. And we've got a sponsor, so stay tuned for that. Woo! Yeah. Sponsor! <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, I know, I know how excited I got about the last one. A good sponsor, like a sponsor that is both of ours favorite one of our favorite services that we both use and we're probably they probably won't want us to say why they're 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 our favorite but oh i know who you're talking about i yeah. i had it in my mind it was someone else but no, no this yeah. is uh this is solid yeah but the, the talking points are slightly different to why we love said sponsor they might i don't know maybe they would but 
Because, you know, not everyone's going to do that. <laughs> this is super mysterious. I know what you're talking about, but no one else probably we does. Could let, we should try it, and then we'll see if they reject it. How about that? That's true. You know, I was the, the protein bar, RX bar, who we mentioned yeah. previously, and we were like, are they going to reject this? Because we talked an awful lot about not containing, uh, yeah. about not containing human sourced yeah, protein, human protein and, like some soylent yeah. green stuff. I thought for sure when when you sent over to like to to preview to listen, I was, I was like, like oh, this is not I'm happening. not I'm not even going to listen to it right now because they're just going to reject it and we're going to have to redo that part. So I'm just going to not listen to that episode until we redo that part. Uh, and then they were like, no, that's good. They loved they it. They liked it. Now, I yeah. think they. I think Drew actually said they loved it. Um, uh, so I, I believe he did. Yeah, I believe he did. Yeah. Well. Yeah, that was that was good news. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's wrap it up there. We'll be back next week. Tune in to find out what the hell we're talking about. Oh no, Falconer!